If you would be so kind as to look in your scriptures, uh, some of you may be wondering, why is he wearing a red stole when we are still in the Easter season? Well, I have my selfish reasons. This stole was given to me by my sister who bought it in Jerusalem. And because she's here, I'm wearing it. Thank you, guys. In Exodus chapter 22, we find something very interesting. When uh, the Lord is giving the laws to Moses, and and God is attempting to form a people, to form a nation, God gives them rules, all sorts of rules, from rules on how to clean themselves Rules on how to run their houses, dietary, dietary rules and regulations of what to eat, what is healthier and what is not healthier, what is better and what is not good. So all those rules were also given. But God, in forming this nation, also gave the people of Israel rules concerning strangers concerning people that were not of the tribes of Israel. And he says, in uh, the Lord tells Moses in Exodus 22, verses, uh, actually verse, chapter, chapter 22, verses 21 and 22, he says, You must not mistreat or oppress the foreigner in any way. Remember, you also at one time were foreigners in the land of Egypt. Moses, or the Lord continues to Moses and says, you must not exploit the widow and the orphan. In Matthew, Jesus is reminding his disciples in chapter 25, he is reminding his disciples of the kind of kingdom, the kind of distinctions that really exist between the kingdom of God and humanity. And what the verses that we're going to read, the Lord Jesus is actually speaking of the great eschaton, which is a big theological word to describe the end of times. So this is one of those eschatological statements of Jesus as Jesus is trying to share with his disciples what things will happen at the end and what things will happen to you and to me at the end. Listen to the gospel of the Lord. (coughs) Pardon me. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his hand right and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me water. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then this righteous once will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and fed you? 
or thirsty and gave you something to drink, or a stranger and showed you hospitality, or naked and even gave you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This is the gospel of the Lord. I have been sharing with you uh, before last Sunday when I was out and Dorothy shared a wonderful message, thank you, about Mother's Day. And I heard that she even had the mothers come forward and there was a special prayer and blessing. But I was playing hooky at home. I needed the break, really, <laughs> and it was good. But I started talking, uh, uh, preaching at the beginning of the month in building bridges. And I shared that the word bridge is not even found in Scripture. However, we find the intentionality of building bridges instead of walls throughout the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. We found out that to build bridges, it takes a decision. Somebody in one side has to want to go to the other side in order for individuals to build a bridge, right? Somebody, one of the two parties, has to want to connect with the other one in order for there, for there to be a bridge. Now, we found out that bridge building is not that easy. Now, I showed you this image last uh, two weeks ago, and this is an actual picture of a bridge that was built over a river in Honduras. But during Hurricane Mitch in 1985, the hurricane was so severe that it literally shifted the course of the river and the bridge is no longer useful. Sometimes bridges that we have built in a generation are no longer working and because the generations have shifted their thinking, have shifted their values, and have shifted their interests of what they're looking for in their lives. And it behooves us, the church of Jesus Christ, to tear down that bridge which is no longer worthwhile, is it? And rebuild a new one where the river is flowing where the people are at. Because we're not connecting and we're not building the right bridge if we just keep it there. Amazing. Uh, Now, that image is actually used throughout our denomination to describe what's happening in our society, how we, the Presbyterian Church, for over 215 years have been over the actual river, but in the last 25 years, a societal and an intellectual hurricane took place and the shift and the river went somewhere else. Then we began to decline. That's the image that's used to illustrate that at a national level. But we also found out that bridge building can be scary because sometimes when we're building a bridge, we don't know what's on the other side. And build bridging can be uncertain, and yet we have to have the faith of God to be able to get across like Daniel did with four kings while he was in exile, and we talked about that. We also talked about that dreams can be, that bridges can be unpredictable. You don't know. I used to go to, a, I shared with you the story of the hanging bridge over a place in Puerto Rico when I was in, in, in a camp, and I went fishing, but the snail or this eel came up the string, and all the fishing gear went down the river. Easy. No problem. 
You see, but they can be unpredictable. Bridges can also be risky because we don't know as we're building bridges to other strangers in our community how those strangers are going to respond to us. We don't know if we're actually carrying the right material across the bridge yet. And bridges can also be a little mysterious. But we also know that with God's faith, with God's faith and God's favor, we can move across the bridges that God is asking us to build to strangers. Guess what? Because God is already working on the other side of the bridge. And that's what we need to discover, you see? So building bridges is something that God has called us to do. And today I just want to share briefly about how to build bridges to strangers. Now, strangers, my goodness, strangers. Who are these strangers? I like to quote something that Henry Nouwen, Henry Nouwen used to be a, a Catholic priest that the Catholic Church didn't like too much because he hung around too much with Presbyterians and Lutherans. Yeah, he was a professor at Princeton, and he was a professor at Concordia, and he ended up his life in a, in a rehab center of mentally ill people because that's where he found himself the happiest. He was also a PhD psychiatrist and psychologist. And Henry Nouwen says that our vocation, our call in the church is to convert the enemy, those who are afraid of God, the enemy, into a guest and to create a free and fearless space where our sisters and brothers can be formed and experience Jesus Christ. I love Henry Nouwen's stuff. It's really inspiring. And I would encourage you to read some of his literature. Now, in Building Bridges, I found out, in, in Building Bridges to Strangers, I found out that Jesus... Jesus himself, his life was full of strangers. Just think about this. He wasn't even perhaps a week old. And there's some smelly, raggedy shepherds who are strangers to the family showing up. Who invited them? Who told them? Well, they actually told Mary that the angel has shown up, you know. And, but they were total strangers. And, and, and even that, some weeks or months or perhaps a few years after that, strangers show up bearing gifts. Good gifts, by the way. But they were total strangers. They were not even part of the family. They were not even Israelites. They were not even from the land. Total strangers. So in Jesus' life, strangers predominated from the beginning of his life. Actually, when Jesus began to select his disciples, all of them were strangers. Every single one of them was a stranger to Jesus. And they were actually, most of them, stranger to one another, except the, the brothers, sons of Zebedee. But the others were strangers to one another. Actually, the ministry of Jesus dedicated was all to strangers. Every time he healed a person, that person was a stranger. Every time he spoke words of healing and words of inspirations, those words were given to a stranger. Every time he laid hands on the lame and made them walk, get up and walk, they were acts of faith to a stranger. You know the old joke that he did heal Peter's grandma, I mean mother-in-law, and that's why he then Peter denied him. I wonder if that was <laughs> retaliation there or something. But, but you see, Jesus' life was filled 
with strangers. Even when he is in his last moments having that wonderful meal with his disciples, he knew to a degree that they were still strangers. Even when he was about to ascend into the heavens in, in, in the Thursday of ascension, 40 days after his resurrection, and the disciples asked him, are you now going to kick the Romans' butt and establish back Israel? He knew that he had not gotten to them yet. They were still strangers to him. But no matter how stranger they were, no matter how strange they behaved, because there were some weirdos in that clan, and we know it, no matter how they were, Jesus always treated them with respect, with love, and always saw the potential in them and not the circumstance. Remember, it was Peter, the one who saw Jesus glorified in the mountain of transfiguration. It was Peter who also saw Jesus walk on water, and he himself became a water walker, the only one in history. And yet, Jesus was a stranger to Peter, and Peter was a stranger to Jesus. So let me ask you this morning, who is the stranger to you? Who is that stranger in our community, in our society? Is it the neighbor you have not even met yet? Is it the person who looks different in skin color? Is it the person who sounds different like I do? Is it the person that eats different mood and food and smells different? Is it the one we judge, reject, oppress, and exploit and look at the other side? Or is it the ones in which we actually vote so that they would not have basic human decency rights, so that they would not have hospital and education. We demean them, we mistreat them, and we make them feel less than us, and then we feel patriotic? My, my. I've learned that one. That's a southern reaction, my PR people. It says, oh, my, my, my. We've missed it. We may actually be great patriotics, but we make a good group of lousy people of the kingdom. But I challenge you, let us begin a movement. Let us begin a revolution of love, a revolution of not tolerance, but a revolution of real acceptance, as Jesus began to do with his disciples. Jesus didn't tolerate them. Jesus accepted them just as they were with their quirkiness, with their weirdness. Remember, there was tax collectors. There was one who was thinking ill and evil throughout the whole thing. There was some who were escapists amongst his posse. Let us be that hospitality place for our community. Let us pray that Jesus will turn us into that place here at Latter Hope where everyone that walks in feels welcome, feels accepted, and feels loved, not just through friendliness, but through real building bridges. We're trying to do it with our Philip project that we have been praying for, for our community. We have been saturating our area for prayer for the last, since the beginning of the year. Now we're about to go ahead and send out information. We are doing that also, some of us, with a summer camp this summer, and we're asking you to join in building bridges with these new people that are approaching our building. One day, uh, the disciples were with Jesus 
And Jesus, and they asked Jesus, Lord, how will the people know that we are your followers? And the Lord replied, so I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. And your love for one another will prove to the world. Your love to one another will prove to the world. Allow me to repeat it one more time. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not our politics, not our whatever advocacy we're doing. It is our love for the others as we build bridges to the other. You see? Because love, in love, we resume the entire law. Amen.